Thank you, Pack City kids. Let's give them a round of applause. Wow. There's a book written by Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about how people become experts at something. And people become experts when they do something for roughly 10,000 hours. And clearly, they spend about 10,000 hours <laughs> working on that. And you are now experts in the eyes of a pop sociologist. And you win in front of all of us. So anyway, wow, that, they didn't even hear my compliment. They're off. <sighs> Good Lord. <laughs> it's just, you know, you know, so beautiful uh, with that, that cow in the front, just like knowing how to ham it up a little bit. Anyway, hey, glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Uh, what are you still doing in town? I don't know what you're doing here. Uh, but to the remnant who is still here, who isn't traveling yet, uh, we're glad that you're here. Merry Christmas to you. My name's Chris. Uh, I'm going to talk to you uh, briefly about God because that's what we do at church. We're going to talk about God. And, um, you know, hey, just as a reminder, uh, we're taking the next two Sundays off. This gives our staff and our leaders and our volunteers time to rest. And then we're going to be back on January 9th for a brand new series called Power and Presence. We're going to welcome God's power and presence start out 2022 right. Hope you can be a part of it. Well, uh, today I want to talk to you, and I want to open our time together by talking about the difference between knowledge and experience. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible was not written in English. It was written, parts of it were written in Greek, and other parts were written in Hebrew. And in the Greek, there's two words or more for the word knowledge. Now, the first type of knowledge is stuff we know, stuff we know in our head. The second Greek word that they use for knowledge comes from experience. There's a knowledge that comes from personal experience. Uh, let me give you an illustration. So in high school, I had to take a chemistry class. And in that chemistry class, you had to, uh, that, was, that was knowledge, that was head knowledge. So for instance, in my school, they had honors chemistry. Uh, how many of you took honors chemistry? Yeah, we have a few. Good for you, nerds. And then you had uh, regular chemistry. Who took regular chemistry? All right. Yeah. Now, there's, in my school, there was one level below that, which I got to do, uh, which was called chemistry in action. <laughs> and it talked, about, it talked about two of America's greatest exports. And all you learned was the combo on those things. It was water and oil. Those are the two things. Or imports. That's what we love, water and oil in America. And I learned... Uh, basically, it was like the, the most low-level chemistry, and I learned that, and that was head knowledge. That's different than experiential knowledge, because in the same chemistry class, when we had a substitute teacher, I brought a really stinky stink bomb and broke it in the class, and it stunk up the whole class that they sent me to the principal's office, and I got suspended for three days. I experienced, I had everyone experience chemistry through our nostrils, which is different than the knowledge of chemistry or whatever. That illustration didn't work the way I wanted it to. But anyway, uh, there's difference between experiencing something and uh, knowing something in your head. And this is really important for today because the God of Christmas, the God we're trying to draw close to today, doesn't just want us to cognitively know who he is in our heads. He wants us to experience him. That the God of the universe wants us to draw close to him and to experience him. It's not enough to just know that he exists. 
It's not enough to just know in our heads that he's around and that he might, you know, care about us in a very uh, cerebral way. But we are to know and experience that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he's with us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, the Spirit of God really does offer us himself. And today we're, we've been going through, uh, well, I just want to say, we've been going through uh, this one verse in Isaiah, which talks about what God the Messiah would be like in the person of Jesus. And what we see is one of the things that Jesus would be, would be called the Prince of Peace, and that he offers us his peace. And he offers us his peace uh, into the world, into our anxiety, to, to the anxiety. Did you hear that? Did everyone hear that? Okay, cool. Well, uh, is that a oh yeah? Is that a branch? Okay, I just don't want to get hit in the head by a branch. I got to travel. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> bring peace to my heart, Lord. Uh, yeah, He desires that we would experience His peace this Christmas, and so I've called today to talk the Prince of Peace. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence, and let's get going. So, God, I ask that you be with us today. Uh, God, we want to experience you. We don't want to just want to know you in our heads. We want to encounter you in a real way. We don't want to just know that you have peace in the world, but we want to experience your peace. So I ask that you would come, you'd be with us, help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a little handout, you can look at it. I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And here's what it says. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here's what Christians believe. We believe that the Messiah that Isaiah talked about was to become Jesus of Nazareth. And what Christians believe is that Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace to our world. He came to bring peace to our families and our neighborhoods. But he also came to bring peace inside of us. Now, one of the main things that's important to remember is that Jesus came to bring peace. Uh, and we read this when Jesus actually did come. I'm going to read a verse to you. It says this. It says, this is something Jesus said when he was on earth. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, this is important. The, peace, the word peace appears 90 times in the New Testament. Peace is important to God. And this is, here's why this is significant. Right now, you look around the world, there's five major conflicts happening around the world right now. There's countries that have been at endless war with one another for the last 40 to 50 years, or even longer. But if you go beyond that and you start to think about our world, you look at our country, there's a lot of strife, there's a lot of issues, there's a lot of people uh, that are at conflict with one another. And then you go beyond that and you start to look at the, our own lives, there's sometimes a lack of peace. There's sometimes a, an issue of anxiety or uh, just things that would stir up something inside of us that we don't want to have there. Like, we can be jealous. We can be spiteful. We can be difficult with others. We can have previous hurt from relationships that we bring into our new relationships. And we can have so many personal conflicts 
on the outside world, but also on the inside world. Some of us, we've, uh, we, have those, we have those issues because of things that have happened to us or things that we've done on our own. And I think about this um, this way. Um, there's a couple different kinds of anxiety. Uh, I learned this in faith walking. Uh, they call it uh, emotionally focused now. I don't understand the new name, but it's like this class that you can take. It's really good. Uh, some of the leaders here have taken it. And they talk about the difference between acute anxiety and chronic anxiety. Acute anxiety is something that happens to you that's very stressful, like, oh, no, Marin's running into the street, and mom grabs the kid and pulls the kid back off the street, and the adrenaline starts to settle. That's, that's an anxious moment in the moment. Uh, that happens. But there's something called chronic anxiety. And chronic anxiety is something that happens. It's a low-level white noise anxiety that exists at the subterranean levels of our hearts that can go on and on and on and can be with us for years. This is why sometimes people can be so irritable. This is why sometimes people can, like, all of a sudden lash out. This is why sometimes people need to do something to address that chronic level of anxiety, and they anesthetize themselves with uh, substances or entertainment or other things. Because beneath the surface, there's an anxiousness. There's an unsettledness. That unsettledness has to go somewhere, and sometimes it comes out of us in unhealthy ways. And that anxiety is not good for us. And I think about my own life. I think about... Um, uh, so, uh, I'm trying to decide how much I want to tell you on this story, but, um, so my parents, uh, weren't married before they had me, and, um, so I'm going to go into that story, uh, and so they weren't married before they had me as a kid, and I didn't realize how it all worked up until about 12 years old, and, um, I just thought I was, like, the immaculate conception, and, my parents, they were married for three months, and then they had me like three months later. I was like, wow, real premature baby. But that's not how it works. Um, and so my parents finally sat me down. They told me like, hey, like, we just want to let you know that we were pregnant with you before we, before you got, before we got married. And we, we just always wanted you to know that we love you and we care about you and we have always wanted you. And I was like, thanks, Dad. And then I ran off. But Unfortunately, that kind of thing did a number on me for some reason. Now, they didn't do anything wrong. My parents have always loved me and, and so on. But there was something that crept in that was a bit of a lie that I started to believe. I started to put the math together. I started to think about the stress in my home when I was a young child. And I started to think, well, maybe I wasn't wanted. Or I, I started to run the scenario. Like, uh, what do you think it was like um, when they found out they, they were going to be pregnant with me? I don't know what they thought. I wonder if they were happy or sad or uh, they were like, what should we do? And all these things started to culminate in my mind. And by the time I was 13 or 14, I had come to the conclusion, I had believed a lie that I had told myself, and that lie is that I was a mistake, that I wasn't meant to be here, that I was a mistake. I wasn't supposed to be here, and I wasn't supposed to be around. And what happens when you're 13 or 14 and you start believing that you're a mistake? You start to act out to cover up the feelings of feeling like you're a mistake. Now, I know some of you have gone through a lot worse things than me, but this is my story. And I know that there's a lot of issues that maybe you've faced that could be similar. So I want to relate to you and say that, like, you start in your middle school age, you start to believe things. Those emotions and feelings have to go somewhere. And uh, this is what we would call emotional upheaval. 
if you believe something about yourself, in this case, I believed that I was a mistake, that's a lie. And on the top of that lie, there's emotions that came out of that. I'm not wanted. Do they really want me? I don't matter. I'm not important. I started to think about those things. I have to do something with those emotions. So what happens is you develop a coping mechanism to deal with those emotions. Can anyone guess what my coping mechanism would have been? Did someone say humor? Yeah, that's right. That's right. The therapist in the back said humor. She's absolutely right. And whether you think I'm funny or not, I think I'm funny. And what I did in middle school is I would watch things like David Letterman and copy everything he said and learn his movements and things, and I would go tell the same jokes to my friends but make them more palatable for a middle schooler in the 90s. And, like, I developed a sense of humor, and I got really good at it. And what I would do is, is use humor to overcompensate uh, for these feelings that I was having. And this kind of carried on, and I got really good at it. I was very, I was like, I was like one of those funny kids in high school. And in college, and I joined my fraternity, I was really fun and funny. And it wasn't until after that that I was able to come to a better place uh, because it was an unhealthy. And like, if I didn't do things, like if things weren't going right, then my world was crushed. It was still, even though I was covering it up with humor, there was still a low-level anxiety that was connected to my life. And I think about you, I think about um, maybe the things you've experienced, maybe the broken relationships in your own family or in your own life, the things you've gone through. These are real things. And it's possible that some of you have experienced some sort of chronic anxiety where there's something low level in your life that has not been addressed. It could have been from the, uh, something from a parent. It could have been something from a relative. It could be something that was said to you or not said to you, things that were done or, un, or not done, withheld from you. It could have been something like that. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, go any further than that, but, like, it's possible that there's something that could be uh, stirring in us at the bottom of our hearts that can be keeping us from experiencing that peace. And I think if you can't quite figure out what that is, one of the ways of finding out what that is is just to simply ask, you know, how do I show up in the world? Do I drink too much? Uh, do I lash out at people? Where are the places where I flash? Because those life situations are often indicators and can lead us, along with the help of the Holy Spirit, can lead us to understand the places in our lives where we have unresolved anxiety. And so I tell that all to you. I'm going to finish the story later. I'm not going to leave you hanging on that story. But uh, I, want to, I want to move on um, because we need to understand that, like, the, we do not have to live that way. We do not have to live with long-term anxiety. We do not have to live with the ongoing conflicts that some of us experience with family and friends. Uh, we don't have to ex uh, continue to experience that long-lasting conflict you have with that particular person and you're trying to see who's going to apologize for. That doesn't have to be that way. The God of Christmas brings peace. The God of Christmas brings peace to us. And the way we get that peace, the way that peace starts, the way Christians believe that peace starts, it comes from the initiation of Jesus that Jesus did something with his life through the death and his resurrection that sets the tone and opens uh, the door for us to have peace in our own hearts and to have peace in our own world. It's something that God initiates. You know, the Bible says, you can see this in your little verses there. It says in Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at the Bible, the Bible shows us 
that everyone has failed to live without fault. Each of us have the issue of something we call sin, which is life missing the mark. Each of us has failed in one way or another. Now, if you haven't failed, that's amazing. But for the rest of us, we've all failed in one way or another. But the interesting thing about this is that God says that the peace of God starts with him. It doesn't start with us. Now, uh, as you can see, I'm a massive soul cycle enthusiast. And, uh, and um, you know, I love going to soul cycle because stationary bikes make so much sense. And I've been going for years. And one of the interesting things when you go to a soul cycle class is um, there's language about how we need to, like, we're spinning, but they're also doing a pep talk. And there's like some crystal involved, and I don't do anything with the crystal, but like there's a round. It's like very spiritual, soul, soul cycle, right? Uh, and so like there's a lot of language about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps to find alignment with the universe that we must set our intentions, intentions towards peace and wholeness and harmony. And only until we set our own intentions, we won't see and realize the peace and the harmony that's available to us. Love it. I think that we should set intentions. I'm going to try to bring peace into my life and not pick a fight with my family this week in Florida. I'm going to do that, right? I get that, okay? But, in, but this kind of peace that we read about in Romans, the kind of peace the Prince of Peace was to bring is fundamentally a different kind of peace. It doesn't originate with us. It doesn't start with our best ideas. It doesn't start with spinning at like 150 beats per minute and like mentally and emotionally like focusing on something just so you can feel a little better. The peace of God originates with God. The peace of God originates with something that God wants to initiate in you and thankfully in me. And that is good news because as beautiful as you look today and as wonderful as you are, you need a peace that comes from outside of you today. Do you not? The answer is yes. But I'm just going to have to answer it for you. And it's different. And this peace that God offers is different. It's not the peace. Maybe if I go to church. Like it's different than the, the peace that comes from religion, right? The peace that comes from religion it revolves around our effort, which, by the way, doesn't sound too different than what I just described from a soul cycle class, which could almost be a, almost a secularized religion, right? So you have the secularized religion. Maybe if you just set your intention, that's my, initi that's my initiation, that's my effort. In the same way with traditional religion, you would say, you know, maybe if I go to church, maybe, you know, if I do a few good things, I can make up for some of the bad things I did this past year. Maybe if I make more commitments in 2022 to exercise every day, what if I go to confession? What if I pray five times a day? You know, maybe if I stop being mean to the people in my life, maybe this year, if I actually fulfill my New Year's resolutions, then maybe, then maybe I will have peace with God. But the peace that God initiates with us is different than our effort. It goes deeper. It, it deals with something at the subterranean level of our hearts. It deals with the brokenness that's deeper that we just can't actually get at all the way down at the bottom. The Bible says on our own that we are bankrupt and we need something and someone from the outside that can bring that peace into us. And this is why the gospel is such good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to bring that peace. And because of what he did on the cross, it cancels out our debt, it cancels out our sin, and shows us that he is victorious over those things. And so when we look to him... 
when we look to him to be the good thing that we need him to be, God destroys any written record of our issues and our problems and our sin, and he draws close to us. And we become free. And this is part of the problem with why we don't see peace in our world. We're only worried about behavior modification. But there's a deeper issue of sin that lurks within us that God wants to heal and bring peace to. And I, and I got to tell you, we talk about the birth of Jesus. And we talk about, there's a lot of debate in the world about all the meanings of what Jesus brings to the world. So I want to say this to you. Jesus coming to earth, his main concern was not making your life easier. Some of your lives got harder when you started following Jesus. We know that Jesus isn't into healing everybody. We know that he heals people. I've seen him heal people. This new series we're starting in January, we expect God to heal people, but he doesn't heal everybody. He didn't, when Jesus was physically on earth, he didn't heal everybody. So we know that he's not interested in making all Christians wealthy, although some of you have become quite wealthy. Some people, not so much. His main concern is very clear. Jesus coming to earth was designed so that we could know our Heavenly Father. And the most important thing to God right now is us coming to know His Son, Jesus, to come into a relationship with His Son, Jesus. That what, that's what He's up to. You know, and whenever we pray, and there's a lot of prayers that God may not answer, but let me give you a prayer that God answers every time. The, God, the prayer that God answers every time is, God, I'm missing something in my life. I'm turning to you. I know I don't have what it takes to have the full and complete life. I'm turning away from being the center of my life. God, I want you to be the center of my life. That is a prayer that God answers every single time. And that is the God of peace that can draw close to you right now. That, you know, there's no one, nobody who seeks to draw close to his mercy gets denied. Nobody who seeks to draw close to his peace this Christmas will be denied. Jesus, I want you to do your work in me. That is something that God answers every time. And so I think about that for us. You know, there's lots of ideas about how to bring peace into the world. There's lots of ideas about how to bring peace into our lives. But there is something at the very center of the birth of Jesus, the Prince of Peace that comes into our lives where we say, Jesus, I don't have what it takes to bring peace into my own life. I need you to bring it into my life. Let me give you the end of my story. Um, I was actually in seminary, and uh, um, for a lot of people, we call it cemetery because it's, it's dead in there a lot of times. But anyway, my experience is really good. Uh, and uh, I went to this class called Person in Ministry. Mm, very vague, right? And we started addressing, like, listen, if you want to be a pastor for the long haul, uh, you have to become a person where you actually close the gap between who you project to be and who you actually are. And you need to be able to address the issues in your heart and the things that have happened to you in your past so that you can be healthy as you try to care for other people. What a novel idea that I should live out and believe what I'm asking you to live out and believe. What a, what a novel idea. And um, so this one professor, Terry Wardle, started talking about, well, where does it hurt? And these, and we were processing these things in, on, in a lecture, but then also in smaller groups. 
And this whole issue of like you know, what my parents shared with me, no intention of their own. They're just having a good time. And they totally raised me and love me and are still committed. And I'm going to see them in a couple of days. And we're going to be on a pontoon boat in Florida. Wow. And then, um, there, but everything was good there. But there was still that belief, that lie that I believed. That started to reemerge. And I, um, and I started to share like, um, I started to share with my small group, like some of these feelings of not being wanted or being a mistake with them. And it got really emotional. Like I was like crying, like ugly crying, like in the group where I'm like, oh, and there's like the snot and they're like, I don't know if my dad loves me. And like, it was like really powerful. And I just like in this small group, I shared it. These guys, they're all just going in somewhere. Uh, they were just, they just started to, they started to pray for me. And the thing that they did is they prayed in the name of Jesus. They prayed in the name of Jesus that God would speak new words and new life over me, that I wouldn't see myself as I saw myself. And one of the, one of the verses that was brought up was Jeremiah 29, 11, which is, I know the plans I have for you. Uh, there was another verse where God talks about in, in the Old Testament where God talks about, you know, before you were born, when it, you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And they didn't, they weren't just like reading these verses just because, but they felt like the Spirit of God, by the power of Jesus, was bringing these verses to their minds and speaking new life into me. And I got to tell you, like three or four of them prayed, and I don't know what happened in that moment, but it was through prayer, and it was through prayer to Jesus. I don't know when or how I got healed, but um, there were, through that moment, through those prayers, through some of those Bible verses they were reading while they were praying, I felt like the Spirit of God broke something off in me. And the thing I believed about myself no longer had power over me, but I was new. And I was already a Christian. I was in seminary, seminary, excuse me. And I, uh, and I was already on my way. I was going to, like, you know, do good and stuff, whatever. I was going to, little did I know, 20 years later, I would be in a room of thousands, if not dozens of people. And um, I, I knew, I was already on the path. I was already, yeah, Jesus all the way. Uh, yay. But there was something new that broke off in me in that moment. The reality of the Prince of Peace got into my life deeper and, and changed me. And I didn't have to walk, I didn't have to walk with that sense of shame that was lurking in the low-level areas of my heart anymore. And instead of a, a lie, instead of a wound, I had healing. What I'm describing to you is emotional healing. And so instead of a lie, I believed a truth that I was a son of God. I've been made in his image. And even though my parents didn't quite understand how it all worked or whatever, or who knows what kind of stress they experienced when they had me, that was a lie. And the truth is I was meant to be here. Instead of emotional upheaval, I had emotional order and I had emotional health. And instead of like dysfunctional behavior or trying to like, um, or in life situations where I felt like I needed to perform to show my worth, I was able to bring that into order. And I could just show up and be comfortable in my own skin. It was a massive turning point in my ministry and in my life. And from that point on, I never had any problems. Just kidding. And from that point on, I could walk into rooms and feel more comfortable about who I was. I didn't feel like I had to perform. And guess what? I still got to be funny. That those skills I learned, I could show up and I could have a lot of fun with people and not feel a pressure to do that 
because I needed to deal with the thing that was lurking within my soul. Uh, I was healed. And um, I share that with you because um, I don't know what kind of peace you need this Christmas, but I do know that the peace of God is available to you, and there is a peace that transcends all understanding that can come into your life, and it can break whatever you've been through, and it can bring healing to you. And when we start with the person of Jesus bringing healing to us and bringing peace to us, that's the starting point. Peace with our world, peace to the conflicts and the discrimination and the issues we see on the streets, the, peace we, the lack of peace we see uh, on um, our social media sites. It doesn't start with us coming up with a better statement on what the world needs to do. No one's listening to you by the way. Um, they're just like, okay, scrolling to the next thing. Peace in the world starts with God initiating peace in each of our hearts. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So why don't we, um, why don't we chase that this Christmas? And I'm kind of unraveling a little bit of what's possibly you've experienced uh, in your life. And, and I know I'm unraveling it right before you go into the holidays, and I don't know what your dynamics are like with your family. Uh, but I do want to tell you that the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, is with you this Christmas. And we can invite him to begin to do his work now. And as we, um, you know, as we welcome him, he's going to lead you and change you and heal you um, in his time. And that's, that's the hope I have for you. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to wrap up our service. Um,